0: i to ask Summer Penley. Uh, Jason and Summer have been here for about a year and a half and just really have this kind of spark that's been happening in their life recently. And uh, uh, Summer uh, has got a great testimony. So anyway, I asked her if she would come share a little bit this morning. So Summer, we'll turn it over to you to get us started.
1: Good morning. I wanted to start out. This is Beth Moore's Breaking Free and I wanted to tell you how it landed in my hands, but first I wanted to read something from chapter 31, and it's about God's rule being right, and it's Romans 6.16 Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. And this is um, Paul's Paul was addressing the impossibility of mastering our own lives and destinies in Romans 6.16. And back in February, March, and April of this year, as I was meeting with a group of women every Thursday, we were discussing biblical parenting, and it really had us uh, in the Word a lot and encouraging each other. And I started to get really uncomfortable and insecure And I really didn't know where the feelings were coming from. And a friend of mine had told me about this study called So Long Insecurity by Beth Moore. And I thought, well, that may be a good personal devotion for me to dive into. So I ordered it. And this book came, which is not what I ordered. It is by Beth Moore, but it's breaking free. It came the next week. And I've... In the words of Beth, my ears began to be shocked clean because I've never had the Lord step so boldly into my life, into a moment before, and I thought, I better listen. So I began to listen, and as I dived into the study, though, it became more uncomfortable because if you're not familiar with this study, it's about pride, it's about being pruned and sharpened for the Lord. And there were some issues, particularly one, that really came to light for me, that the Lord was saying, if you want to be a credit to my kingdom, we need to address this first. And the issue for me was money. And in our family, I'm the one that handles the budget. So, (laughs) or maybe not, (laughs) And I took a lot of pride in that, to be honest. I, I, it's hard for me to admit that, but I did. I, I was very wise with it. I felt careful about it. And the Lord was showing me that just because you think you do something well and that you're you know, exercising wisdom in doing it, but you're not handling it. It's handling you. It has you. So in essence I was in bondage to this one particular issue and here I was, you know, I wanted to raise my children to love the Lord and understand their value and their place and in his kingdom, but I needed to understand it for myself too. And he was shining shining a light very clearly on this on this subject and it it was it was truly uncomfortable for me and But um, Scott's been talking about this spiritual discipline. And by the Lord's grace, I was able to just stay in the word and continue to pray during this time where he was pressing into me through thoughts and through my conscience, because I believe he uses your conscience, to tell me, you need to be obedient in this area, but my heart was not there yet. My emotions were not there yet. I really didn't want to. And and I can be honest with you about that because I, I was honest with him about that. And what he began to show me was that through grace, that the more I, time I spent with him, not as a means to an end, not for information, not just for a quick answer, but just experiencing who he was and his character, my heart began to bend in this direction that was more inclined to his character, that was more in line with his desires to where I didn't feel like by giving more that I was actually sacrificing anything. I just started to want to give because I wanted to, because I want to please him and because I love him and because I know he loves me. And but I will say, it would be great if the Lord shined light on a subject like this for you or, or for me even, and just waved his magic wand and just overnight you became a cheerful giver. Let me say, it does. There is a requirement from us, and that is we need to make a new commitment, and that's really essentially what He was calling me to do, and that requirement kind of came to a head a few weeks ago. We were getting ready for vacation. Um, It was a Saturday evening. We were going to go to church the next morning. And I was telling my husband, Jason, that I had a certain dollar amount saved for our vacation for fun stuff. And being the planner that I am, that was just naturally something that I would do. And he said in conversation, I just think we need to give this dollar amount to the Lord and it was half of what I saved and I just thought, I'm not hearing this. I'm not hearing what you're hearing <laughs> And um the conversation just ended there. It really didn't go anywhere. Um but the next morning was Sunday, Jason went up and went to church earlier than I did because he was playing guitar that morning and so I was at home and I was having my devotion and this feeling of knowing and when the lord speaks to you it's not an audible voice necessarily you you just you have a thought and he had given me wisdom to know that i needed to be obedient in this area so when i had this thought that i needed to write a check for this amount i knew that it was him because it was in line with his character it was in line with his word and and it was true, and it, it had been really what he had asked me to do already, and I had ignored it. And for two hours that morning, I just wrestled back and forth, and I was just miserable. And I and I learned, Beth Moore had I had read something that she had said a, a while back, and it says, when the Spirit of God moves with you, you either move with it or you're miserable. And I've, it's true. It was true for me that morning. So. I wrote the check and I came to church and there was about a 10 minute window where I was able to speak to Jason before he went on stage again and and I told him what I did and he said well it wasn't really what he said but it was just his face I just I can't articulate it to you I can't describe it to you but I just he had been spoken to the same exact way that morning and He said he was on stage and he had a vision of me walking up to the offering basket and actually placing a check um, in the basket. And so he knew with confidence that I was going to come with a check that day, but we had not discussed it. We had not planned for that. And so when he told me that, it was God's mercy of confirmation for me because I needed to know that too. This was big for me it was a huge step in my faith in obedience to do so so hearing that just meant meant everything in that moment but god showed his provision that morning in a different way we have some friends here at the church and they mill wheat and they make their own bread and that particular day they had brought three loaves of bread to church uh, for three families and one of the families didn't show up so they said, well, why don't we just give it to Jason? And when they handed him that loaf of bread, and then he told me about it, I think both of us were in awe that the Lord that very day would show and solidify his promise. Because He isn't he the bread of life? And will he not provide for us what we need in our obedience? You know, this area of my life, I just, I was not walking in freedom in it at all. And really didn't know that I wasn't walking in freedom in it. Steve spoke a few weeks ago about how we're all given this measure of faith. When we ask the Lord into our hearts, we're also given His Spirit. And the way we activate that Spirit is through obedience. And that's what I feel the Lord is, is birthing in both of us now. Is that every, with every step of obedience, His grace is meeting us. That morning, it was in the bread. Him showing us and making His promise real. You know, it was something we could actually see. So it made such a great impact on us. And, and um, I wanted to read... John 6, 32 and 33. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the, the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then a few verses down, it, Jesus declares, I am the bread of life that we will never go hungry, we will never go thirsty, no matter where we are walking, no matter what desert we are in. But we are called and we are responsible for our obedience to obey Him when we hear Him. And I'd say my conviction this morning for, for sharing this with you is that if the Lord is speaking to me in this way, then chances are because He speaks in themes, and he speaks to bodies as a whole and individuals as a whole that he's speaking to someone here. Maybe not about money. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's something else in your heart. Um, Scott will speak later about this, but maybe it's a wrinkle in your heart that needs ironing out. Something that is not allowing his Holy Spirit to fully fill your heart to capacity in those, in those areas that it needs to fill. Because if you are called, which we all are, then we need to be worthy of this calling that we've received by living a life of obedience. And I urge you, I encourage you to make that initial step and know that in your spiritual discipline, aside from your emotions, no matter how you feel, that his grace will step in and confirm his presence to you. And give you that assurance you need, and the energy you need to keep pressing on. That's
0: it. Thank you. Thanks, Summer. It's been amazing. I, I know Jason a lot better than I've had a chance to get to know Summer, but just kind of hearing more and more of their story as God's really moved in them over just over the last six months. Just this change, God stirring so much within them. Really fun stuff. Testimony-wise, we could kind of keep going on and on and on. If, you're, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know that we're doing things a little different. Um, summertime, we're entering into kind of a teaching time. We're going to have worship on the back end of the, of the service. And the last couple of weeks, we've been, we've been looking at disciplines, specifically disciplines of listening and recognizing that God has a plan to speak into every one of our lives, that he created us and he wants to be with us. This is his passion, is to be with his people and that the foundation of any healthy relationship is communication. And so God not only wants gives us prayer as a means in which to communicate to him, but he wants to speak into our lives as well. And so week one of this three-week message, we looked at how God speaks. You know, there are five biblical ways that we see God, you know, speaking in the Bible. But then we took one of those specific ways, how God speaks to us personally. And, you know, we have the visible recognition of where god spoke to moses through a burning bush and they heard this audible voice but most of us may not have ever heard an audible voice in fact i don't know many people that have heard a quote audible voice but i know a lot of christians hear god and i feel like i you know attune with god and the lord shows me different things as well so what does that look like is it if it's not this audible voice what is it and that's where we begin to look at the reality that god speaks in our thoughts you know first corinthians 2 you know Paul says, you know, who knows the the mind of a man except the spirit within a man who knows the mind of God except the spirit of God. And we have the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ that comes and lives within us to know God's thoughts as God chooses to reveal them to us, whether it be through his word or in one of the other ways. But in our thoughts, he speaks. So not all of our thoughts are sp- or simply our thoughts, if you're a Christian and you have the spirit of God within you, God is going to put thoughts in your head. A lot of us have had those experiences of feeling like, you know, I really needed to call John Doe out of the blue today, or I needed to pray for this person that was kind of off the radar screen. You felt led to do different things. And that comes from God speaking in your thoughts. So recognizing that and recognizing that we looked at, at Jesus' relationship with the Father. He said, look, I simply do what I see the father doing and say what I hear the father saying. You know, the Pharisees were mad at him that he was healing people on the Sabbath. But he says, look, it's the father who's showing me to do this. And I simply am being obedient. He has this dependency relationship with his father. And likewise, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, the counselor that I will give to you, he will there are more things that I have to say to you, more things that I want to reveal. And the spirit of God will remind you of all the things that I've taught you and reveal to you the truths that I have yet to say. So we recognize that this spirit is going to take from what is Jesus, as Jesus says in John, and going to give it to us. And that leads us into this relationship that we have with the spirit of God. Just as Jesus was in this obedient relationship and dependent relationship with his father and the spirit is to Jesus, so we should be with the spirit of God in order to live as Christians a spiritual life. So that requires some things on our part. And that's called discipline. Anytime that there is an effort that we need to make to be somebody other than we're not, a discipline is required. And most of us, when we think of discipline, as we saw last week, heard Dallas Willard say, you know, we think of discipline as a negative term. But in fact, discipline is a very healthy term in a positive way. It takes a a professional football player has disciplines that they do to practice and to exercise to be fit and prepared for this vision of what they're being called to to potentially win a Super Bowl. So we look at a a professional football player as a specimen of a physical specimen prepared to go contend an athletic sport. And we're amazed at how well prepared and how much effort they put in discipline wise to get prepared for that. And yet the same is required and invited for us to do as spiritual beings, as Christians, that there are certain disciplines that we can practice and make effort toward in the same vision. If vision is what really propels a vision, you know, discipline, then we as Christians should be intentionally the most disciplined people on the planet because we have a vision to be like Christ and who Christ is. And what greater vision is there? Can the Super Bowl compare with to be like Christ and to know Christ? Because that's the specific instance in the invitation for us as Christians in the New Testament. To be like Christ. And to know him as he makes himself continually known. So then we looked at last week, how do you study your Bible? And we talked about you don't read your Bible. If you just read your Bible, then I think we're really missing out. Because when we read our Bible, we're reading it for information. And that's not God's plan at all, is that we not just read for information. If you read for information, then once you've read it, you won't be drawn to continue reading it. You'll feel like you know what it has to say, and you'll quit reading. So we don't read our Bible to read. We read our Bible to engage with God. And then learning how to do how to study our Bible, how to ask questions of the Holy Spirit in the midst of what we're reading. That we're engaging with God and knowing God and knowing the truths that God has that may be far beyond what we just see if we were to read a sentence or a verse in Bible. And so we began looking, okay, well, how do you ask certain questions of the text? And so, you know, if you missed last week, go back and 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 re-listen to that. It's on the webpage. But Asking questions of the text and we looked at John 3:16. we all know John 3:16, for God so loved the world He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? We all know that verse, but as we studied it together We see wow There's a whole lot more to this and just from the angle of who is it said to and this guy Nicodemus we see wow There's a lot more being said than maybe we knew was being said simply by Asking questions and studying and recognizing God is Speaking to something big here. And that's where we're going to pick up this week. Back to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was this leader in the Jewish council. He comes to Jesus at night. After Jesus had just done these miraculous miracles. And healing certain, you know, different people. And he comes to him at night. And we can see from this context as we began to unpack it last week. Jesus is really challenging Nicodemus. To the very core of who he is. It would have taken this lineage of his father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather and his great-great-grandfather. Tracing his, his, his birth lineage back for generation after generation. In order for him to be considered somebody of a bloodline to be on the Jewish council. And here he is coming to this controversial teacher. And pursuing him. So he comes to him under the this auspice of night and recognizing that this is very much could very much threaten if people were to see him, his status that all of his grandfathers had paid a price for him to be able to sit on his council one day. So what, we, what I want you to recognize in this is that one of the things that Jesus is continually doing is he is addressing people's hearts. He's addressing your heart and he's addressing my heart. And as I just began thinking about this, in a Christian's life, I just began kind of flipping through Matthew. And let me just throw out a few a few instances of this in Matthew. When Jesus is speaking, the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about murder. You know, up until that day, up until that moment, murder was if you had literally slain someone and they were no longer breathing. They were dead. But Jesus says far much more than that. Jesus says if you're angry with somebody, then you've committed murder. Adultery, if you've looked at a woman lustfully, you committed Adultery. This concept of an eye for an eye, he says, if if a brother, you know, if, if there's a sin that happens against you, you know, then turn and turn the other cheek and let him if he strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek and let him have it as well. Jesus says to love your enemies, he says, do not worry. Your father knows what your needs are. He says, do not judge. Get the plank out of your own eye before you try to get the splinter out of someone else's. Jesus, when he's healing on the Sabbath. He says, you know, is it if you had an ox in a ditch, would you not help them out? That man was not created for Sabbath, but Sabbath was created for man. In each of these instances, Jesus is not speaking to the circumstance that's before him. He's always speaking to the heart. Of the listeners, he's always speaking to the heart of his listeners when he's asked a question by a rich young ruler. Then Jesus says, OK, you've done all these great things now, go sell your possessions and give them to the poor and come and follow me. Jesus had this ability to be able to look and see what was in a man's heart and to speak to that thing within the heart. We rarely ever really find him speaking to the specific question or the circumstance that's being asked. This parable that he tells about the workers in the vineyard you know they've been hired for a day for a denarii to come work in this vineyard and he continues to hire people throughout the day and even people in the last hour that he hires At the end of the day he's then paying everybody the same amount and the people that have been working all day are frustrated with the landowner and they come to him and they're mad and they're angry And he said why are you angry you agreed to work for me for this denarii and, and why would you be upset because i'm generous because I'm paying them the same amount that you paid me. Jesus is always speaking to people's heart. He's not speaking to the situation necessarily at hand as they're desiring for him to. What authority do you have to do this? The Pharisees asked as he was healing people. And in that in that context, he asked, well, I tell you what, I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. If you answer me this question was John's baptism, was it a baptism that was from heaven or was it a baptism of man. man. And so the Pharisees got together, the text says, and they, they realize, okay, well, if we say that he was from heaven, then he'll ask us, well, why did we not believe and go be baptized? If we, so if we say that it was from man, then the people will be mad at us because they believe that he was a prophet sent from heaven. So they come back to him and they say, well, we don't know what the answer was and says, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do this. He's always able to see and to speak to the heart issue Behind all the questions and the things that are coming to him. Someone holds up a coin and says, should we pay taxes unto Caesar? And he says, well, whose face is on the on the coin? Pay unto Caesar. What is Caesar and pay unto God? What is God's? He's always speaking to the heart. And the reason that I'm giving you these this repetition that you see throughout the gospels is that I want you to recognize that God, the father, is always at work. And this seems to be the work and the pattern in which he is always doing. And so if this is the pattern, he's always speaking to the heart of what he's doing, then we can recognize the opportunity for who we are as a Christian and who we are as Christians. So before we really dive into that, let's look at a couple passages. We're going to start in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. In Romans 12, 1 reads, you've heard me preach on this, 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 uh, these verses before but we're going to pack them again in a different light this morning Therefore, I urge you brothers in view of god's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to god This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world But be transformed by the renewing of your mind And then you will be able to test and prove what god's will is his good pleasing and perfect will So here's this instruction Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is a command, direction, instructions that we're giving that we have a part to play in. So we've all grown up, most all of us, I'm sure, in the West, and we all have a certain pattern and a way of seeing things, a way of thinking about things. We look at things, we bring our logic, reason, and intellect to the table, and we make an assessment, we make a judgment, and we go from there, right? Scripture is actually inviting us to recognize the pattern in which we think and to no longer conform to it. And not just don't conform to this pattern of thinking anymore, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there is something in place of this pattern that we've been living in and thinking about that is a new way of thinking. Let's look at a couple other verses that are around this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24 You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And to put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians chapter three, verses one and three. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Romans 8, verse 4 through 7. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of a man, of, the, of a sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. So there is this invitation that we're being given, and this command and instruction to make an effort to bring discipline to the table, to join God in His grace. Grace is this this supernatural thing that empowers us to do what we cannot do apart from God. And discipline is the thing that invites us to add to our life, to empower us to become who we can become with effort brought to the table. So the reality is that the spiritual formation, your spiritual life, is not a passive process. It's something that you have to make an effort toward. And in recognizing what these efforts are, we recognize how to begin living a spiritual life. So the reality is God wants to speak to us because he loves us. He wants to communicate to us and he communicates to us by giving us thoughts. Right. is one of the ways in which he speaks to us. So if you're listening for an audible voice or if you hear somebody say, well, God spoke to me. Odds are he spoke in a thought that they learned to discern their thoughts that are different than the thoughts that God's placed in their mind. Again, the last few weeks, we kind of unpacked this biblically, how this is true. So as we're diving in and as we're moving toward God, we need to recognize God is going to speak into our lives and into our relationships. We recognize that as we're moving into relationships, here's the discipline that I'm going to put before us this morning. I call it the discipline of Selah. S-E-L-A-H. You've seen it probably throughout Psalms and a couple other places in the Old Testament. I'm going to read you a quick verse in Psalm chapter 3. Psalm chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. And then there's that little italics word out to the side, Selah. And what that little italics word means is to pause. And reflect back on what was just said. Before you go on to verse 3, pause and consider this. And so this discipline of Selah that I put before you this morning is this challenge to begin practicing a mental discipline to hit the pause button on life and to stop and to listen to what God may be doing or what God may be saying in the moments in your relationships with other people. Because the reality is, God loves you, and he wants to be with us. He wants to be with you. So we have to stop and engage him. And then in moments, he's going to come alongside us by his grace and give us thoughts that we don't understand. Again, practicing this as a discipline, this discipline of Selah, this is a bit of what it looks like. It's the difference in recognizing somebody comes to me, says they want to meet with a pastor, come in the office, sit down, and I listen to their story. I'm not just listening to try to give advice to a situation. Advice is what I listen to and my logic, reason, and intellect bring to the table to say this is my opinion on something, right? That's not what we're called to do as Christians. We're not called to give advice. We're called to give counsel. The Spirit of God, as Jesus describes him in 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 the Gospel of John, he says, the counselor, when the counselor comes, there are more things that I have to say to you and more truths that I want to reveal. And the spirit, when I send him, the counselor will reveal to you, remind you of all the things that I've said and reveal to you these truths that I have. So the spirit of God wants to engage with us. And so Selah means, okay, somebody comes into my office. I'm sitting down and I'm listening to them, engaging and listening to their story. And in the same time of listening to their story, I began having a conversation with God and saying, show me what you're doing. Let me hear what you're saying. And if there were three people in the room, right, a meeting with this person and, you know, let's just say this is a husband and a wife. And they both began talking at the same time and they were just rattling off back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I can't listen to both of them at the same time as they're talking over each other. If they're talking in unison, I can't discern both conversations. I'm going to pick up pieces here and pieces there. But this is the amazing thing. In Selah, as I'm engaging God and I'm asking God, show me what you're doing. Let me hear what you're saying. Suddenly, I can hear things that God's saying and absolutely be just as clearly listening to the person that's speaking as if I was fully engaged in listening to them. It's phenomenal. Try it. That's the challenge for today. Try pausing your own mind in the way that you normally think in the way that our world has taught us to reason and pattern and conform to the way that we always live and the way we always think and learn to hit this pause button i think of it like you've seen the staples commercials the easy button the big red button right i literally kind of have this picture in my head okay i'm gonna hit the big red button pause and listen engage with god what are you doing what are you saying let me join you in what you're doing here because you're always at work, and your spirit is alive within me. And your spirit is alive within me to do what? Second Corinthians chapter five. Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter five. I'm going to begin. I'm going to read verses fifteen through twenty. I'm in the wrong chapter. Verse fifteen through, through twenty. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, and the old is gone and the new is come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. As if God were making his appeal through us, that we are God's ambassadors we are his agents of the kingdom of god in this world and because he loves us he wants to be with us and include us in the work that he's doing so how do we join god in this work he is always reconciling, and redeeming this broken and heart hurting and lost world so what do you think he wants to do through you in the relationships that you have he wants to have you be able to give counsel not advice and counsel is when you're taking the truths of God and applying them and helping find the application of those in a person's story. So as I'm meeting with this person in my office and they begin telling me the story and I'm having this sale on that minute that I'm, I'm making the intention to ask God, what are you doing and what are you saying? I'm inviting him to place the thoughts in my mind that are going to lead this. Time of counsel, and I'm not listening. As I listen to my own thoughts to give advice. I'm listening to see what are you doing that you want to work on, because the reality is we all have wrinkles in our heart and the truths of God become the hot iron to the wrinkles in our heart. So if Bobby comes to see me and he's upset with his fiance, Jenny, and they've been engaged for a year now, but this repetitive Fight just keeps coming up over and over and over and over and over over again, right? And I've heard it three times because Bobby's been to see me a number of different times. And I hear that Jenny's really upset. And so I begin asking Bobby, okay, well, you keep saying all these, these things, these list of things of where she's upset you, right? Over and over and over again. So as he just begins sharing this, suddenly my mind just begins to realize, oh, Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it does not keep records of wrongs. Bobby, you keep telling me that you're keeping a record of wrongs to Jenny. Let's look at what the, this is is what scripture says about love is. And you're not loving by doing this. So let's just address this reality. If you quit doing this and invite God to lead you, by his power, enable you to by his grace and empower and enable you to do something you can't do in and of yourself to forgive all those records and to quit keep quit keeping a list of what those are. Then start doing these things of what love is and quit doing these this list of things that love is not. And let's see if that doesn't bring some transformation in your relationship with Jenny. Fake story. I can tell you what the reality will be. As we learn to not do the things that are not loving and begin to do the things that are loving, it'll transform whatever that relationship with that wrinkle in it is. And it's ironing out with the truths of God, the wrinkles in our heart that are not practicing and applying the principles of truth. And that's. Your invitation and my invitation as a Christian. The the New Testament model and the New Testament vision for what Christianity is is that it's a body of believers that are knit together to and, the, and we serve each other to build one another up. It's called edification. To edify one another, to build each other up spiritually. And this is what the role of a Christian should be in one another's lives. Not that you get together and you gossip. But that you get together to encourage one another with the truths of God, because as you listen to one another and you invite God to show you what he's doing. I can tell you without I mean, of all the people I've ever challenged with this discipline of say, I've yet to have somebody come back to me and say, I tried it and didn't get anything. Have you ever had anybody in your life that is, you know, this person is like Mr. Encouragement, right? When you're having a bad day, you call this, this friend up and, you know, you get off the phone and suddenly there's wind in your sails again. I have a friend like that in my life. When I'm going through something, I call him and I'm telling you what, it's just almost magical. When I get off the phone with this person, he is just so encouraging. He speaks things that I know are not of him. It's just God encouraging through me. The reality is God intends for you and for me to be that way for each other. That, yes, it might be difficult because when Jesus speaks, he's always speaking to the heart. And so if this is what the father is doing. And this is what we always see Jesus doing. It's what he's going to do through you. He's going to show you a wrinkle in a brother or sister's heart. And as you engage with him by studying his word, suddenly your mind is going to be quick to come back to these truths that he has been revealing to you. Jason was telling me his story this morning. He met with a friend recently. He's been studying, he said, I've been, since last week, we got challenged on how to study your Bible. He said, I, each day this week, I spent no less than two hours in the Word, and I am just, I'm undone. I'm so excited at how, what God's showing me, one thing after another, right? And then lo and behold, all these little notes that he's been taking to himself, he finds himself meeting with, with, with somebody, and all these things that he'd been studying all week, suddenly had this, like, purpose. Oh my gosh, that was this and this. And, oh, I remember this verse, and I'm looking up on my phone, and that's not coincidence. And so this is what this looks like. You've ever, you've ever played the, the game, you know, this little grid game, it's the memory game, you know, and you've got little flaps, and you lift up this flap, and you see a little monkey's face, and then you lift up this flap, and you see a little giraffe, and you lift up this flap, and you see a candle, right? And you have to remember, okay, the candle's here, the monkey's there, and then you get the, the, the candle, and you get the candle, okay, you get to move those boxes, Right? This is one of the ways it looks like when you're giving counsel to somebody and you're engaging with God is that suddenly you begin to remember, oh, you know what? There's, some, there's a story in Scripture that sounds just like what you're going through. It's this guy named Gideon, and it made no sense for him to trust God. You know, he was going against this army of 10,000 people with 300 men. It made no sense for him to, like, cut it down to even less. But yet this is how it turned out. Your story sounds just like Gideon's story. God's inviting you to trust him When it makes no sense, exactly what Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's role will be to remind you of all the things that I've commanded you. So you're engaging with the Spirit of God, joining God in the work that he is going to do. And that is most often ironing out the ripples in our heart that have led us into the circumstances that are frustrating and hurting and we're bedazzled by. But as Christians learn to engage with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this very same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is a Spirit of life. And as, Je- as, as Jason was giddy telling me this story this morning, I said, doesn't it feel good? Because the Spirit of God is a Spirit of life. Have you ever felt more alive than you did when you just saw God speaking through you? encouraging somebody with the truths of scripture and he just smiled friends it is an abundant life that god has in store for us as we engage with the spirit of life the very spirit that raised jesus from the dead and we learn not to conform any longer to the pattern of this world but we embrace the disciplines of learning what does this mean then To have a transformed mind. What does this mean then? To begin thinking in a way that I haven't. I'm not used to thinking. To begin looking at things in a way that I haven't been looking at them before. It's going to require discipline on your part. But you'll find that it comes along with this grace of God. That then empowers you to do what you could not do on yourself. And you'll engage with God. And be transformed. As you watch lives transform before your very eyes. God is a God of abundance, and he has in store a plan and a place for us to experience an abundant life. And I know no other way to do that other than to engage and to recognize and to interact with the spirit of life. As we said last week, yes, it's supernatural. It's beyond natural. You know, I don't have telepathic. Capability for to know what is in Tim's mind right now, right? That would be supernatural because it's not natural. It is supernatural that God can do this and does this by putting thoughts in our in our head and letting us know his thoughts. But who would want to worship a normal God, a natural God who would not want to worship a supernatural God? I mean, if our God's not supernatural, I'm out. There is no life after death. Jesus didn't really raise from the dead. It's all a big story. But the reality is he wants to have his spirit come so alive within us. It is a seal upon our heart that we know that we know that we know he is our father and Jesus is alive and we engage and we interact with him and he leads us through truth and we recognize these truths that he gives us. He quickens our minds with. So you're engaging with somebody in a conversation and you're say lying and you're asking God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. And next thing you know, the person's telling a story about their dog and then they go on and you say, OK, well, tell me about the dog. You suddenly have this highlighted thing to probe into. Ten minutes later, and I've done this ten minutes later. Here we are. This person's crying about this division that happened between them and their and their relationship with God because their dog died, and they prayed for the dog not to die. And all I heard was asking about their dog. I'm not doing anything, I'm just being used as the ambassador, as the agent in the kingdom of God for God to reconcile men's hearts back to Him. But I will say, as I watch it happen and watch it unfold before my very eyes, it's incredibly life giving. And this is his plan and his purpose for you and for I, to be led by the Spirit of God in a dependent relationship, just as Jesus was dependent on his Father. So we should be dependent on the Spirit of God to learn to no longer conform to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of our mind and knowing what God's will is, his good, his perfect, and his pleasing will. I'm excited for what this can look like for us as a body. As we recognize that we are not in this alone, but that we get to come alongside and encourage each other with truth. We get to recognize and and learn how to hit the pause button and quit just immediately giving advice and our opinions on things. But that we actually stop and engage and invite God to be a part of this conversation and see what he wants to bring about. And the reality is we all have this desire for certainty in our life. We have this desire for certainty, but the reality is God's plan is uncertainty. Uncertainty in the way in which we look at things. And it drives you and I nuts because we want to make a decision based on how certain we feel the outcome could be. But the things that God leads us to, oftentimes there is a a lack of certainty of how the outcome is, but a complete certainty on what the next step would be. He's got it rigged. He's got it rigged because if he, made the, if he gave us the whole map of we're going from point A to point B and he gave us the map, we would run off and leave him. But the reality is he wants to walk with us through the process. He wants us dependent on him to show us what our next step is. My word will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. A lamp only puts out enough light to see a couple steps. And that's his plan because he wants to be with us. He only gives us enough light to see the next couple steps. And it is absolutely uncertainty that invites us to then live a life of faith, trusting God with outcomes. But if you continue to live life conforming to the pattern of this world, you will always demand certainty and never turn and trust God to be Lord of your life. You'll never really trust him you'll trust yourself with your kingdom but when we give our lives to Christ he's invited we've invited him to be king and we give up our rights to our kingdom we make him lord and we quit trying to be lord of our own stuff and by doing so the certainty that we that he brings is a certainty that it all works out when you trust me let's pray Father, thank you that you do not leave us nor forsake us. Thank you, Lord, that you test our hearts over and over and over in Scripture. Lord, we see this plan unfolding before us, how you test men's hearts, because for you, it's all about the heart. Lord, we want to be your people. We want to be led by your spirit. We want to engage with the spirit of life. We want to join you in the work that you do. So we invite you to speak. We invite you. Help us in this discipline of Selah. Help us in this discipline of studying your word to know your truth. Help us in this discipline of just learning to be still and to be quiet, to practice in solitude, to learn how to discern our thoughts from your thoughts. Because, Lord, you know, we know that you desire for our lives to be dependent on you. We want to live our lives, Jesus, to join you in the prayer that you prayed. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, Father, right now... Through this three-week series, through today's lesson, Lord, would you encourage our hearts and would you place this seed within our heart, this spirit that wells up within us, that we just have to cry out, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. No longer my will, no longer my kingdom, no longer my ways, Lord, I'm going to trust in the absolute truth of scripture that everything is certain and we can depend on you because you love us and you think the best of us and you have the best prepared for us. And let me give up the reins and the right and the rule of the lordship of my own life and say, No more, Lord. It's only been my own logic, reason, and intellect, and it's only brought me frustration. But we cry out to you as King, come and have your way. Quicken our spirits, Lord, to dive into who you are and to see the kingdom opportunities, these divine moments. Of these interactions with people at the water cooler and the grocery store and the couch in our own living room and to see just what you want to bring as you iron out our own hearts and use us as your ambassadors to see hearts reconciled to who you are. Jesus, let your kingdom come. We're going to...